part two of the AWS Developers Podcast talking about time series databases with Jay, who is a developer advocate at Influx. In part one, we spoke about what InfluxDB is, really cool projects, and definitely recommend checking those out. And I'm here with Dave, by the way. Hi, Dave. Sorry. Didn't forget oh, I'm to here. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> and Jay, we want to kind of find out more about when would you not use InfluxDB? Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. And I was actually really excited to come back and do this part two. We were sort of thinking about a title for this one. We sort of called it Tales for the Time Series Trenches. Uh, and this is the what not and what to do. So I thought I'd take a spin and put you guys in the spotlights of when and when not to use a time series database with a quick quiz and Ooh. see if you can can quickly predict if it should be a time series use case for a time series DB or if it shouldn't. So are you ready? I'm ready. I get really competitive with this. So I have to make sure <laughs> that I beat Linda. So if I planned to monitor my servers uh, for irregularities, would I use a time series database or not? I would say no. Linda, Linda? Saying, oh, 50, 50 I'm thinking, wait, I'm trying to think if the use case has like a, a, a reason to be like in a time series scenario. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'll say I'll say no too. Yes. It's going to be yes. yes. We failed. It's going to be yes. It's going to be Did yes. We failed, Jay. Hey, were you trying to give this to me? It was like, yeah, I was, it's, it, it's a. I'm using it's my a, Robert Greene way of letting you know, not letting you know how smart I actually am. Edit, edit. Okay. <laughs> this is this is this is a full yes. So imagine this. So you're you're monitoring your server's performance for irregularities. So you care exactly when that irregularity when that occurred, or if there's a trend in why that irregularity occurred. So if you're oh, seeing... similar to solar panels. Ah, uh, there you go. See part one. Part <laughs> oh, it's one. so obvious. Who would have said no, Jay? So... <laughs> Well, keep going. You can redeem yourselves. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do one more. Okay. Four uh, quizzes. There we go. <laughs> so I said it, I, but I said it with confidence. See, that's what the key see, is. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, as long as you're confident in your answer. Your confidence convinced me. Okay. Yes. Fake it till you make it. That's where we're here. Oh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so if I was going to store my customer information um, so that's username, password, and their address. No. Oh. And I hope you're encrypting that, sir. You know, S3 <laughs> Buckets auto-encrypt is on by default now at AWS. I just want to yeah. let you know. We're trying to help. That's a good plug. I like that. I rate that. I, I feel like I, I threw you up a ball and you were like smacked it right out of the park. Yeah. But that was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> but so really, yeah. you care about when the incident happens. So this is the question we're going to ask ourselves. Right. Ooh. But that you probably have like CloudWatch logs or something else that's showing when someone accessed that data versus right. storing it in the individual thing. And, and this is true. So like I, I really like CloudWatch as an example there because that's a platform for time series data in that instance as well. You're looking at timestamp data um, and looking at alert and alerts and how we can notify and what problems there are and what services or what you want to see through your, your entire AWS infrastructure. So that's that's a really amazing use case and great use case of, of time series data and use there. Um, so yeah, I really like that. Um, so, so one out of two, I, I, I very much appreciate that. So <laughs> yes. Two and words. by the way, the answers are here in the show notes. I just realized. I'm, so. not I'm playing fair, Dave. Yes, we did. That shows you how engaged I am with this conversation, Jay. I was not <laughs> reading through the, the answers and it was from the heart, which is usually wrong. That. 
Okay. <laughs> Confidently from the heart, even with the wrong answer. <laughs> you just described my life. Okay. So I've got a question. So we, we kind of did re recap on time series data. Do you have best practices for people that are looking into this now? Like, what have you learned? You're doing this stuff real world. You're actually working with customers. Absolutely. And this this was a really fun experiment as well, um, based on sort of, I, I sort of kind of hinted on it in the last podcast where, you know, I spoke with my colleague, Emily, and I said, hmm, let's, let's just say we were like standing up a, you know, a conventional database like Postgres and, and, uh, and what, what would users have to do to even, you know, not short, fall short of using a database like this for time series data? Because, you know, with InfluxDB, we provide a lot of training wheels and we have a lot of catch cases in there to make sure that, you know, users can experiment and play with time series data in an effective and efficient manner without having to worry about a lot of the things we're going to discuss in best practices. But um, so I guess the the first big best practice I want to start off with is having a mindset for scale. Scale is so important when it comes to time series data because what you've got to think is a, a lot of origin stories for time series data is you've got maybe one or two developers um, that go, hey, okay, I need to start monitoring my server, or they might be an IoT engineer and go, okay, well, I've been tasked with monitoring a machine on my shop floor. So I'm I'm just going to build a sort of what we like a Frankenstein solution with a standard database, um, and I'm going to collect my machine data within this database. And, you know, it, it's good. Like, you know, I've only got a few samples per minute. There's not that many people that need the data. And you're good. This is this is this is operating. This is functioning how I expected. But what the issue slowly becomes is, as you become a victim of your own success, you see people want to add more machines to the solution. More people, more stakeholders want that data. Um, users want to start performing different types of workloads on that data that become way more intense for time series based workloads. And this is where users start to run into issues and we see those big collapses with this is it's quite interesting again in the industrial space where all these scatter solutions that were that were built back when, which still operate as amazing solutions now, they they are having to fine tune some of these, you know, Microsoft SQL databases and really get into the crooks of the code to effectively store the time series data because the needs have changed, the amount of data that's required has changed. And so that's that's one of the big things is is having that mind for scale is so my top tip is always going Imagine on your worst day or your best day, you could have a, if you're going to go with a half full, how many users will want to be collecting that data? How many machines could you have operating or how much you know data points are you collecting from? Uh, what are the types of workloads you'll be running on that data as well? It's always the people. Top tip, yeah. once again, all these jokers keep using, I have, a, I have a story for you. So back when I was coding every day as a software developer and I worked in the pharma industry, they had this, well, this is an ongoing issue is when you're looking at a pharmaceutical drug, you're researching this thing for years and tens of millions of dollars. And what can happen is another company is doing that, but they get the patent first. So all of the time and money and effort that you've spent is for not. And patent data, involves lawyers. So if I'm looking for a genetic sequence, let's say for pancreatic cancer, I can't just look up that, you know, like it's Dave's sequence. I've found this thing. 
I can't find it because people will name it their sequence. And then you're going through all these different paths. So I wrote this thing that was called Project Wildcard, where it was literally like a search box engine where you just went to it and it was a web page. Back then, web pages, you know, it's the beginning of the web. So web pages is pretty cool. And you go to the web page and you just type in, it could be anything. It could be the sequence. And what I was doing, I built a database. It was a SQL Server database in the back that used what was called blast data, which was basically running all these, all this math on, on, we moved it to Linux clusters from Unix, but it was all this data that the scientists were actually looking at and just allowed you to actually search it. And it ran great. And I was all proud of myself. And then everybody told each other about it. We had to take it down. Because it was like, you know, it just, it worked. It worked for me and the team and a couple of scientists. And then, you know, you get like the company I was working for was an umbrella of 200 other companies. And you would be shocked. It's kind of like chat GPT, right? Like if something solves your pain, you tell your friends about it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> think about human beings and success and what's actually going to happen. Yep. It's, it's exactly that. I feel like you've created the created the the original search DB there as well, and that's so impressive. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just um, a pretty interface for data that already existed. But true. I guess that's a search engine anyway, right? So yeah. So as a but, and I think to the, to your point there is, uh, I like the the fact that you said you moved it over and you started clustering it, because th- basically when we talk about influx DB OSS as well, that's not going to solve all your issues either. Standing up a time series database as a single node and going, hey, I'm just going to shove all my time series data into this one single node, it, it can be a it can be you you almost extend your problem. We've had customers that we've been on calls with that have 64 gigabytes of RAM. Gal- Goliaths that are running InfluxDB and ingesting from millions of data points and trying to store all this. And they are petrified that their database is going to collapse and they're going to you know, lose half of the, the, the data for the day. And so this is why we consider looking at solutions like enterprise and cloud, which have durability built in, which have these the ability to spread workloads amongst clusters of machines. Because that's this is you sort of preparing for fault tolerance for your time series workloads and making sure you're ready for that scale as you reach it yeah. as well. So that's top tip number one is yeah. What's an example scale. of that too? Like, what's an example of, of where you would really set? You're having a mind for scale, right? That's the best practice here. So, what would be an example like that we'd use it in in real time? So I feel like I, I'm uh, I feel like I auto default to IoT. So, but I'll uh, so I guess oh, yeah, so, so much data. It's so, so honestly. I know, because it's like the one thing you think about, you know, <laughs> you think scale, you're like, oh yeah, all these people are using it in their homes, you know, and, and you want to know all about their, what they're doing time-wise or when they're using something, I guess. Well, and, and this is it. And it, and it, you got, you got to think, especially these large providers as well. We, we, we have customers that, especially when you talk about enterprise IOT and they start saying, okay, well, we, we started off with 10,000 customers. Well, now we're up to the, you know, 2 million and each of these customers have their own individual IoT sensor that we have to index and reference, and it's all producing their own time series data. You have to be prepared for that scale of collecting data from all from that entire stream. We have a one of our biggest customers, which is dear to my heart because I never knew actually used InfluxDB, but I use them all the time in my historically in my previous job is PTC. They have so many customers in the industrial space which ingest vast amounts of machine data from lots of different sources. And they really put us to the test, even with our like high availability, highly um, distributed service for InfluxDB, they really put us to the test and what we what we can do. So it 
really shows what scale is is a mindset. <laughs> Amazing. So we have our best practice. I, I now I know having a mindset for scale. Awesome. What's another best practice? So we, we we touched upon it in the the last podcast as well, but it's building a good schema. So I, I kind of took this from a an idea of saying, well, if you're going to use a time series database, this would be the schema. So we we said the primary key should always be your your timestamp, and you should always account for that because you're dealing with time specific queries. So that is your primary timestamp is always your sorry your primary key is always your timestamp. From there, you want to roll into secondary indexing, though. Now, when I first initially started using InfluxDB, I indexed everything. I said, well, I want to index all of the metadata down to a fine T because I'm going to use that within all of my queries and it's all searchable. It's all extremely queryable in that sense. But the problem that you have there is if you index everything, there's no quick search anymore. You have to iterate through the, the like the key value path and find which indexing points or which rows. And it, it sort of doesn't quite, you, you've kind of You've taken away some of your performance by indexing to that granular level in, in lots of cases. So what I suggest to keep in mind is index based on the queries that you plan to use. So suppose let's take a few basic uh, indexables. Maybe you want to take the machine ID and the location, uh, like so location area you're in and the factory. These are all free, great taggable areas we like to call or indexable areas where you're going to use these constantly. You might say, well, give me the time series data from this location for all machines, or give me the time series data for this specific machine where it goes over a certain limit and then return me the location. You have to consider the types of queries you want to do and then index based on that. And that will always optimize your performance within a time series database. Got it. And I, when I was creating a lot of schemas and working with databases a lot, I always looked at indexes as a way for have better performant queries. And you said something there like, you know, you're looking at your indexes through the lens of query, at least is how I heard it. And that, you know, if you, if you start doing that and you're optimizing all the queries, then nothing's optimized because you just basically have all these indexes. And so do you, what are the tools like you've discovered along the way for when we're ingesting data, when we're looking at querying data, how does this all kind of fit in to help me as a developer when I'm using this? Absolutely. And this was, this was my favorite bit to talk about. Cause this is the, this is the bit where oh, so now you have, you got to lean close to the mic. If it's a favorite bit. Oh, yeah, Hello. Yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> directly into the mic. Oh, um, <laughs> But so I think this is where it sort of, I love developer advocacy because when you're talking to developers within this space who are passionate about time series data, you have so many uh, projects that you've never heard of come to light and you can start experimenting and playing with those and sharing these with others. So I'm glad yeah. to kind of give a bit of a roundup of, of the ones that I've learned so far. But first, I'm going to give a bit of shameless promo to Telegraph, which is actually a project internal to uh, influx data. So oh. this is this is for ingesting data. And so the Telegraph was conceived by us as a, as a way of collecting data from lots of different input sources. Could be anything from IoT, infrastructure, to even monitoring Minecraft. You can actually monitor Minecraft directly from Telegraph. And collecting all this timestamp data and then writing that data to an output source, whether it be InfluxDB, MongoDB, uh, we even have out like, you know, AWS CloudWatch in there, AWS Kinesis as well. The cool thing about this project 
uh, it's never been corrupted by needing a dollar on it. It's it's community driven. It's forever been open source and will continue to be open source. It has over 300 plugins now as well. Um, nice. And you, you don't need to be a programmer to be able to use it. It's all configuration based. So you just need to assign the plugins you want to use and start pulling data from all these different sources. And that is a great way to start collecting time series data and start using time series data i love it i'll i'll list uh, i'm assuming it's up on github i'll i'll make sure all that's in the in in the show notes what about like visualizing all this kind of data yeah absolutely i think the 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 one that comes to mind for a lot of people is of course something like grafana um grafana is like the swiss army knife of visualization for time series data but you have loads of other providers out there such as like tableau um a new one on the block is apache superset i don't know if you guys have heard of it this is um this is a, a i'm trying to think where it was conceived or it was it was Looking conceived it <laughs> oh what's the it's that they're a huge provider of uh, airbnbs i think it is literally airbnb <laughs> sorry <laughs> um but they uh but they they created they, they would definitely provide airbnbs the, yeah, <laughs> this, they, they they should. I mean, that's their entire business model, right? So, <laughs> but they they I think it was one of their hackathons. They conceived this dashboarding solution that's completely open source, uh, and it's almost like a open source alternative to Tableau, so or like a you know a business intelligence solution for timestamp data. So that's a really really cool dashboarding solution that's up and coming, um, to, and to check out as well. Jay, so like if I want to now build, develop with time series data, what tools would I use to do this? What libraries or anything like that? Yeah. So I guess for me, I I'd probably go down the Python route because, you know, I, I'm spoiled for choice in Python and Python's forever my the love of my life. I guess my sort of top tips there is if you're going to jump down the Python route, learn pandas first. Pandas is your friend for life. It's such an industry standard within Python for working with tabular data. So many other libraries use it as an ingest format. Think about like a visualization library like Plotly. There's so many different sort of forecasting and anomaly detection libraries that basically take pandas as native ingest. I just, I'm hearing pandas and I'm thinking of pandarians, yeah. which is one of my favorite expansions. I think that Linda should be a pandarian hunter. Can We're you see her? She's going to jump all around because pandas are just, it's, there's just, you go up to them, Linda, you go up to them and they go like this, slow down. Everyone, if anyone listening doesn't know what we're talking about, listen to part one. Oh, yeah. that's right. I should probably point that out. We've talked about World of Warcraft in we'll, part We'll one. link in the show notes where you can find more of yeah. Walk out there, please. Yeah. Yeah. It was very therapeutic for me. You walk around Pandaria and they're like, life is to be enjoyed. And they, then they, they, they brew things. They brew ale and you just sit down yeah. and you look at the beautiful countryside and that's Pandarians. Maybe you should so totally see if you could play that sound in the podcast. <laughs> Slow down. There's a Pandarian on my wall. He's right over there. That's Chen. Everything's on your wall, Dave. Everything. We just need to put the Everything that matters. David, did you did you hear about that guy that created a Pandarian? And you, basically, just to explain, you have to either join the Horde or the Alliance at the end of their like <laughs> intro mission, yeah. uh, level ten. He refused to do this and yes. collecting flowers. He has like, for years. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's very he's committed. Like, so neutral character, isn't he? Like, I will now oh. never never forget that panda. I should use pandas with Python or time series database. Tool. Pandas are so nice. I just tweeted a panda that's rolling around in the snow and just loves the snow. 
He got, we can learn a lot from pandas. <laughs> well, not, just, not just visualization. <laughs> this is exactly it. So there you go. Pandas are your friend. Pandas is loved by everyone within Python. So remember pandas. But just to give you a taste of some time series libraries on top of that, a really up and coming library, I think developed by Facebook originally is Cats. That's kind of like a toolkit for looking at anomaly detection and forecasting. That takes a bit more. That's um, that's a lot more cost customizable, so it takes a little bit more time to get used to and get into. But you've also got things like Facebook Profit, which is great for forecasting and looking at seasonal data within your time series. And then one of my personal favorites is Anomaly Detection Toolkit, because they actually mm -hmm. bake in visualization for you. And you can actually see based on different algorithms how anomalous your data is based that's on awesome. it. It's so dope. It's really, really cool. Jay, I think you gave us some really good tips. I personally want to experiment with time series data. Um, I will get my panda library down there. Uh, I'll get my panda library, my anomaly detection toolkit and cats and all that. But what are you most excited about looking forward? I kind of want to know where your head is at. What are you excited about? Whether it be InfluxDB or time series data in general? Yeah. So I guess the the thing for me is we've actually just released our new storage engine onto AWS. And so it's only Ooh. available currently on AWS as well, just based on object storage, S3. It's just second to none for us at the moment. But it's all based on Apache Arrow and Apache Data Fusion. It's a new columnar storage method. And it just enables us to remove cardinality. We didn't really discuss cardinality today, but that's to do with indexing we discussed. Um, and it just allows us to ingest vast amounts of data, query over vast amounts of data as well. And it's really the next breed or the next generation of time series database that we're going to have out there, really getting into that data warehousing space. So really, really excited about that at the moment and lots of content to be building as a DevRel. So that's always keeps me in a job. That's awesome. Where can people find you and follow that content? So definitely check out our Slack, um, check out our discourse there as well. And you check out our InfluxDB University for training content. Amazing. One more question. If somebody's watching these two uh, uh, episodes, what are the main takeaways uh, from the podcast that you feel they should walk away with? So I feel like the first thing is like, go set up a time series database, do it. Like that's the that's the main thing. Like get, get on the bandwagon, enjoy it. But the, if we sort of focus on what we discussed today, keep scale in mind, always build for scale. Ripping out a solution is so much worse than actually just building for scale to begin with. Remember the schema fundamentals. You know, it's again, another thing, always keeping a good schema is going to keep any database administrator happy and then try out telegraph oh my days i practice for telegraph so hard if everyone could use telegraph the world would be a better place so that's definitely a tool to check out as well i'm certainly smarter because of these conversations and i super appreciate your time this has been incredibly cool so thank you sir thank you for having me and hopefully i'll see you in the next raid in world of warcraft we'll uh i think we've got one coming up i soon. am super cash super <laughs> cash i have not even reached max level right now i know oh, come on, no. i know i know i guess i'll have to find out if i'm a panda or a hunter <laughs> you're our pandarian hunter i can't wait until we bounce around linda you're gonna love it the way they bounce with their big bellies and all they're so cute oh okay lots of takeaways from this podcast <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again, sir. Thanks.
same. I, I I was kind of, I don't know if you want to go next on the next question, but like, I, I wa- don't want to like, I don't know. I have like, I'm going back to Warcraft. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just thinking, okay, so now I know three libraries, got the pandas, got the, the anomaly detection toolkit I got to do. I'm writing it down. We want to include it in the show notes. I'll just say the sentence. So in case, and we're going to include this in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Over to you, Dave, just in case. <laughs> so everyone yeah. can start developing with time series data. Yeah, no, I think you should. And don't worry, I'll edit all this out. I think you yeah, should edit close my it rambling out. out. Thank you. <laughs> all of my stuff is rambling. This will make a good Easter egg, no, actually. A good Let me write this down. A anyway, yeah, I'm a good rambler. What is your skill, sir? What do you say you're best at? I'm a good rambler. Yeah. <laughs> I can ramble really you're, nice. You're very good at going from pandas to yeah. pandas yeah. and <laughs> back to the topic. Oh, my gosh. You, Linda's seen me at events. It's like you could drop me in a room of people and I'm like telling them about philosophical things. And then, yeah, it's because I don't have any oxytocin. It's the only way I could connect with people. Linda. Back to part one. Okay. <laughs> that part wasn't recorded. <laughs>